When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Husker fans. Welcome to episode 215 of the Husker Football Fan Podcast. I'm Mike Harvat. And I'm Justin Swanson. In today's episode, we are joined by attorney and sports law analyst Dan Lust to discuss how Nebraska saved Big Ten football in 2020 and other college football legal issues. We also break down some of the significant roster changes taking place this week. You can find us on the web at huskerpod.com or by searching Husker Football Fan Podcast on Facebook. You can also connect with us on Twitter by following at HuskerPod or email us at HuskerPod at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Central Nebraska Buffalo. Check out their website for their latest deals at cnbuffalo.com. Also brought to you by Monty Rohde with Pinnacle Realty in Lincoln. Looking to buy or sell a home in Lincoln or know somebody who is? Hit up Monty at 402-770-3356. Oh, Did you watch the National Championship game, Mike? I watched some of the National Championship game. Same here. How much did you watch? Uh, I think I pieced out somewhere towards the end of the third quarter. I didn't watch any of the fourth. I think I hung on a little longer than you. Mm. And uh, it's pretty uh, pretty clear how things were going. Yeah. I think once once Alabama hit 42, that's when I was like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I kind of felt like I was watching a familiar story take place as far as some of the games where – We've said to ourselves, you know, Nebraska, we can hang with this with these guys, but then slowly they pull away until all of a sudden you're like, oh, this isn't close. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things where I guess we shouldn't be too surprised in a year where Ohio State, uh, you know, it was kind of hurry up and wait, and then it was let's go, let's go, wait, 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 and now you can play again, and you know, it's it's just. They had uh, anything but a normal season, and then Alabama, the perennial favorite of ESPN and everybody, uh, you know, in terms of people who want to bet on who's going to win at all, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they had a relatively normal year. You know, they played a full season. They didn't have weird restrictions on how they could do things, and lo and behold, they ended up being king of the hill by the end of the season. Yeah, you you do wonder how much that the disparity in games played make a difference. Um, Yeah, I don't. I it was kind of. I had not watched much of Alabama this year. Oh, I didn't watch any. (laughs) Yeah. So for all the acclaim that the quarterback got, I can't help but think that like any Big Ten quarterback or big even like a Big Ten halfway decent Big Ten backup Mm. in that role would have excelled. Don't you think? I mean, there was just nothing. I mean. I can't think of one play where I thought, wow, because he was an exceptional athlete or an exceptionally accurate guy, that play was successful more. I'm like, wow, that I can't believe the running back caught that. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can't believe the wide receiver caught that. Um, just thought, I, I thought it was ridiculous that he was invited to the Heisman ceremony um, for being a functioning cog in a <laughs> extremely fish, efficient machine. Right, right. I, I think we're starting to see – 
I don't know how you feel about this, but I think at least an 18 playoff is going to make things a little bit more interesting and get a little bit more investment from people going forward. I I hate to say it, but everybody hated the BCS when we had the BCS, but I miss it, dude. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've thought about that a lot this year, and there's been some really strong arguments for expanding. But uh, frankly, I feel like with as bad as um, Notre Dame got beat, I don't know that adding another layer of playoff games makes it more – it doesn't give more people – well, I mean, in theory, it gives more people access to the national championship game. But whoever is the eighth seed in an eight-team expansion is just going to get walloped mm. by by Alabama this year. And then, if anything, like your number two seed – so like this this year and last year, the number two seed had a really tough – the number three seed and number two seed. I mean, that's been a tough game. Mm-hmm. And um, then in the national championship game, whoever had the easier route, I think has won. And, you know, that's not to say that's why they won, but that, that is what happened. Yeah. I just think that there's a, there's a greater likelihood though of, you know, you, you talk about the, the number one destroying the number eight, but I mean, how many times in a season is there some team that's not supposed to win just completely upsets the apple cart, you know? Uh, who's to say that couldn't happen in the playoffs? Yeah, it's true, but yeah, I think it's, it's one thing for in a week-to-week, game-to-game season for someone to rise up and surprise someone when everybody's preparing on a short, you know, an abbreviated mm-hmm. time frame. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. another thing when you're going to the playoff and, you know, Alabama knew they were going to play Notre Dame, and then they yeah. knew they were going to play either Ohio State or Clemson, and with the army of analysts they have, I'm sure they had a complete game plan. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And Clemson, and then, you know, they just pitched the Clemson one and factored in all the new data from from that game for Ohio State, and so anyway. Uh, Well, uh, a couple things I think we want to talk about here, and then we got to get to our our, our interview with with Dan Lust. Um, Some really... uh, up and down emotions um, yeah. the Huskers fans this week based on that transfer portal. I don't know. Uh, I assume everybody's been following along at home. I know we have. Um, but first, and I feel like, is this all in like 48 hours? Seems like it's been just in a couple of days, yeah. So first we get just this uh, top, top shelf standout wide receiver coming to us from Montana where he was like the FCS um, leading wide receiver. So stud, uh, 87 receptions for, uh, 1400, almost 1500 yards this last year and 13 touchdowns. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, really, really talented dude. Samurai Toure. Um, he'll be with us for one year and that, you know, that's the position that has been so weak for us this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe that's your long ball. I think the standout quote that I saw from him was he turns 50-50 balls into 70-30 balls. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about you throw the ball up and you're you know, either defensive back or the wide receiver can get it. The wide receiver needs to go make a play. This is a guy who uh, takes that from, you know, both guys have an equal likelihood to he's going to get it uh, more likely than not. So um, very exciting. And then was it the same day we get the news that Wandale's leaving? Yeah. And sadly, we all kind of saw that coming just from the chatter coming across the wire over the weekend. But well, we saw it coming in the short term because of the chatter. Yeah, but big picture. Yeah, yeah no um, way. 
<laughs> it's uh, it's kind of a nightmare. And so he says, you know, his mother is the rock in his life and one of the, the most important person. And she had COVID and had some other medical complications and it really hurt him to not be there with her during COVID. So he wants to go be with her. Um, and he expresses love for for Nebraska fans and admiration for the coaching staff. So, I mean, we can only take him at his word, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's the hard thing is because the stated reason for his departure, nobody can argue with that. Like right. I I you know, I wish him well if 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 that is the the case, I'm all for it. I support the decision. I get it, you know. Um it just doesn't help that there's all of this all of this talk behind the scenes and in the comment sections of various social media platforms that are suggesting otherwise. And that's what I, I mean, I don't want to be the podcast that goes down that road and starts speculating about that kind of stuff. But it's one of those things where I was, I was feeling pretty down about Husker football this week from some of the things I was reading. Yeah. Well, I think the most compelling argument is that he came here to play wide receiver and make it to the NFL. And he said, he'd do whatever he needed. We needed him to do. And because of our poor development at running back, he ended up playing running back a lot, and that's not how he's going to make it in the NFL. So right, right. Um, he can't. He's supposed to be a running back change up with the the whole duck R position, but there was so many games where he had to be the guy, and that you know that cost him a lot of playing time last season because of injury. So uh, you know that was kind of a theory floated out there that made sense to me as to mm-hmm. additional incentive to leave. So you know whatever the case may be, he's gone. Um, I know maybe he goes to Kentucky where he had originally committed. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to all his uh, his uh, branding stuff that we the university made for him. You think of his logo. You think of like the song that they made. And actually, do talk about that with with our sports law analyst here in a second. So don't want to don't want to take too much of that conversation. But um, so that that's Monday, I think. Yeah. And then <laughs> Tuesday. Uh, everybody gets hyped back up with um, the transfer in of Marquise Step, a six foot, two hundred thirty five pound running back from USC, who just looks like a bruiser and a stud. Um, who was recruited there to to run the ball, and then when they got a new coaching staff that was pass heavy, his role diminished, and he actually ended up um, redshirting one year because I think his playing time was was changing so much um his usage was down um so we actually are going to have this dude for three years uh, we have i don't know if we said it samurai toure for one year um, but we get step for for three years so that's you know emotionally we're back up again <laughs> and then of course there's a lot of speculation well i bet this means that Diedrich mills is gone and you know i don't know within hours of steps announcement mills announces that he's going to the nfl Yep. And can you blame him? I mean, the guy's going out on the highest of notes. I mean, look at his performance in his last game. That was insane. <laughs> yeah, you know, dominant performance there at the end. Huge regrets uh, from fans that we didn't see a lot more of that throughout yeah. the last two seasons. And, you know, maybe that's part of the reason why he's gone. Um, but, you know, he's a grown man. As we've kind of been talking about, I think it's it's a little easy to try and find the uh, the bitter reason a player's leaving when you know he's been at three colleges and he's had 
he's lived life, you know, he's had some tough stuff. He's overcome some tough stuff. I mean, he's probably just ready to go live his life. Yeah. So you had mentioned that in a previous episode too, is just like, it'll be curious to see who decides to return when they have the option to leave because there's probably a lot of guys, especially after this last year who are just like, yeah, I think I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and, you know, he's a running back. Running backs have a short shelf life in the pros anyway. So Mm -hmm. while he might be able to boost his stock, by playing another year at Nebraska, who knows the the risk of injury could could take it all away. Right. So, so you know, I emotionally after all those ins and outs, what is that a net? Are we even? Like, do the two goods equal negate the bads? I don't mm. know. What do you think? Yeah, I, that's very hard to say. Uh, I'd say emotionally this week, I was feeling worse about the departures than the. Uh, the recruits or I guess the, the transfers. <laughs> you know, one thing we've said on this show in the past is if you're counting on a transfer, an exciting Juco transfer to make an immediate impact. Mm. If you're counting on that, like you're in trouble, these guys aren't Juco transfers and Toure in particular has a real great track record step. He's doesn't have quite that track record. Um, but you know, there's so I don't want to put too much too much confidence into their arrival, but they're it's a good sign. These are good things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel like when you're losing your leading wide receiver and your leading rusher, who may be the you know, Wandale's probably like our number two rusher, right, outside of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um and then Mills like feels like a net loss. Yeah. But I mean, let's be honest, we got bigger fish to fry like entire team wise for this next year (laughs) you know like it's one of those things where you know we were just talking about how you know alabama if if you got a good uh, just a working cog and a highly efficient machine we we need our machine as a whole to be more efficient in 2021 Right. (laughs) right so i don't think that we should be putting our hope on you know even even martinez to to carry the team on his back no we want the team to be a complete team this year right Right. Good, good point. Quick update since we recorded the episode this morning on Wednesday. Um, actually, Deontay Williams and Markel Desmuke both have said that they're going to return for next year. So that's some more good news on uh, Huskers in 2021. With that, I think it's time to roll the tape of my interview with sports law analyst Dan Lust earlier today. I had a great conversation with him. Really interesting guy. Um, I think a lot of us have interacted with him on social media, especially in the last year. Um, has a podcast about sports law and uh, a lot of takes that I think Husker fans are really going to appreciate. So um, let's uh, let's roll that interview. We are really excited to have Dan Lust, an attorney and sports law analyst based in New York, on the show. Dan, welcome. Pleasure to be on with you. Uh, as I have learned very quickly, the uh, Nebraska fans are rampant on social media. So uh, I'm not sure if you know, but Justin, I'm, I'm an honorary Cornhusker, according to Twitter. Do tell. How's, how's that happen? Um, I mean, like I'm looking at the background of my computer now and it's me, my wife and my daughter in uh, Cornhusker shirts. My daughter's got a black shirt on. Um, wow. Yeah. So I guess uh, the probably the reason I'm on this show with you right now uh, Mr. Uh, 
you know, uh, like, I guess we'll say this, like, I, I, I kind of stumbled into it, but um, I heard Paul Feinbaum make a take about Nebraska uh, being kind of like cowardly for, you know, trying to reschedule an, op uh, an opponent against Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, me from my New York vantage point, I just like, I'm like, they're trying to reschedule an opponent. How does that make them cowards? How, is, how are they an embarrassment? Just something wasn't adding up. So I don't know. I think it was a Friday, Friday afternoon that that happened. And I just, you know, I called it out. I go, this doesn't make sense. How is Nebraska trying to reschedule an opponent? Some kind of an embarrassment and uh, something along the lines of people, especially the mainstream media should be thanking Nebraska for saving big 10 college football. And obviously I think the PAC 12 followed the big 10. Um, so they shouldn't be a punching bag right now. We should really be thanking Nebraska. So uh, unbeknownst to me, Justin, uh, I guess that is not something that people outside of Nebraska normally say. So I found myself, uh, you know, um, at the, the receiving end of a lot of compliments from Husker Nation. Yeah, it, it's, it's been a long year for, for everybody. Um, but yeah, the, the hot takes coming from outside of Husker Nation have been uh, merciless for, and it's really been surprising. So yeah, that is, that is what I uh, wanted to chat with you about. I, I've enjoyed following you on, on Twitter this long year as you've uh, gone to bat a few times for the Huskers. So I guess, so here's the question for you is based on what I've seen on your Twitter feed and what we've chatted about through DMs, I know you hold the position that Nebraska saved big 10 football. And in particular, I think the, when the, the players sued the conference and I'm curious why you think that, how that, how that all worked out in your opinion. So, so Again, man, you put me under a lie detector. That's just my honest belief as, a, as an attorney. So um, I guess a couple of, you know, number one, the, there was a decision made up front. So just everyone that's listening to this understands the landscape of college football, but there's five power, you know, five major conferences. Um, and the first to make a decision on whether they were playing or not playing was the Big Ten. So, you know, you could just read the room. I mean, uh, as an attorney and, and, you know, I do a lot of different, I wear a lot of different legal hats, but one of them that I do is the world of uh, insurance defense. And it's basically defending, uh, you know, personal injury suits. You know, it's one of the hats that I wear. And there's a, a liability analysis that every major company in the country was running that, you know, the risk of opening, right? You know, the profits that we stand to make, be it college football or Walmart or any big business, versus the, the risk of liability of people suing us and got forbid employees or customers getting hurt from COVID-19. This is like way back in March and April and May. Now that analysis, it's like, you know, we, I'm, I'm like a poker player. It's easy to explain things in, in poker, but like, you know, it's like if you see two, two hearts on the flop and you have two hearts in your hand, like, you know, could it be a wise investment to go all in? Sure. But like, we just don't have enough information. So Back, um, you know, this is back in the spring, the Big Ten looked at this kind of incomplete set of information, whether or not the virus was really deadly or, or whatever, you know, kind of area we're now. And they said that uh, it is not, it's unsafe to play football. And then, you know, behind the scenes, I'm sure they said financially we might be in trouble if we play. So they, they closed up shop. And then as kind of everything else played out, Big 12, SEC, um, and then, you know, the ACC basically said we're going to play. Pac-12 obviously followed the Big Ten. So you know, what we had was basically 60% of the major conferences playing football without the Big Ten. So um, at that point, right, uh, and I, Justin, I am getting to your question about how Nebraska's involved here, I promise. But it's important to kind of lay the backdrop. It is, it is important in the grand scheme. 
But like, you know, in that sense, the Big Ten had a decision point. Are we going to reverse course and, and reconsider playing college football or are we done? And there were protests by Big Ten parents. Um, and the Big Ten basically said they sent out a letter signed by Kevin Warren that said this, we are not reconsidering this. This is a final decision. Um, and that seemingly put the end of that conversation. They said they're going to consider playing, you know, like spring football. I don't even know what spring football would look like, but they, they wrote a letter after the cancellation that said the cancellation is final. We've heard your complaints, but it's final. So this is when, um, you know, we had conversations uh, media, you know, with Scott Frost basically saying, you know, we're going to be playing the season, whether or not we do it in the Big Ten is a different story. Uh, and then, you know, probably within a week of that is when the Nebraska players, seven players, filed their lawsuit against the Big Ten conference. And they were seeking, um, you know, it's a fancy way, it's called discovery, but they were seeking answers as to how the Big Ten arrived at their decision to cancel. What was the actual vote? Did they follow their bylaws properly? You know, normal questions you would ask in a litigation, but they were required, because it's a lawsuit, they were requiring Kevin Warren to answer these questions under oath and the various administrators with the conferences. So, um, you know, I, you know, we can get into the, the minutia, right? Because I know, Justin, you have, you have a legal background as well, but like they were basically putting a gun to Kevin Warren's head and they said, they were essentially alleging you didn't follow Big Ten bylaws to cancel the season. Uh, and if you didn't, right, maybe you guys, uh, you know, the court of public opinion would say maybe you guys aren't competent to, to hold your current positions. So they were basically going to put all of these questions and all these answers under oath during a, a court proceeding. Um, and then wouldn't you know, within two weeks of filing that lawsuit, right around there, two, three weeks, um, Big Ten football is back. So, you know, I don't think you have to be a rocket science. It's unless there's some major coincidence uh, that lawsuit had a tremendous implication on the timing of, of Big Ten football returning. What uh, this is speculation here, but what do you think they were afraid of having to reveal? So, um, Justin, I, I guess uh, I'll put you on the spot for a second. Do you remember this crazy when they were saying the vote was like ten to two, or you know, it's like it was twelve to two? Do you remember? Yeah, well, I think yeah, um, Nebraska, Iowa, and Ohio State were the only ones who wanted to play. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, there were some reports that the vote to cancel was 11 to 3, and then it was 12 to 2. And then, you know, anybody, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand that there was something going on. People were leaving, you know, that room, be it, I think it was Minnesota's AD, Penn State's, um, you know, I think it's one of their athletic directors. Um, they were leaving that room where this alleged vote occurred, and they were making comments to the media along the lines of, yeah, I'm not really sure if a vote occur occurred or, you know, a vote did not occur. So, if I'm someone that's in that room and the Big Ten is saying the vote was 11 to 3 or 12 to 2, whatever they want to claim it is on any given day, um, and that a proper vote occurred to cancel the season, we follow the Big Ten bylaws which required a proper vote to occur. It doesn't make sense that multiple individuals in that room would basically say it's unclear if a vote occurred or a vote did not occur. And if I was a lawyer representing the you know, Nebraska players, I would say, it seems like someone is lying here, right? Either the person in the room that said a vote didn't occur because they're claiming that that conversation, you know, was considered to be a vote. So I think the, you know, the lawyer representing Nebraska in that sense was on to something that they didn't follow the Big Ten bylaws. And if they had done that, that would have basically, um, you know, the, the court would have uncanceled and nullified the Big Ten's cancellation because as a private association, you have to file, uh, follow your own bylaws. So that's what the insinuation was. They were asking for basically who voted where. They wanted the meeting minutes as to what the conversation was said, what, what occurred in that room. Um, and I think if the Big Ten you know, had, hadn't 
resolved the lawsuit by settling up and bringing back the season. Uh, I think there was a really big risk of administrators losing their jobs for just failing to follow the rules that, that they were you know, employed to, to uphold. Um, it's not that hard to hold a vote whether or not to cancel the season, um, but it's just bizarre that no one was willing to put their name uh, as to where they voted and where. Those, you know, you, you were kind of alluding to it, that Ohio State and, and uh, Nebraska and Iowa voted a certain way. Those administrators have not come out and said that. So it's all kind of he said, she said, but yeah. I think there was a lot of smoke and that's what the lawsuit was designed to, to get out. And instead of answering those questions, they made the decision, at least from my vantage point, to bring back football. It's kind of an interesting dynamic when you have like a nonprofit, which is, is that essentially like a, is what the Big Ten is. It's a, an association, right? But then the members are many of them public institutions like the University of Nebraska. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for transparency there within those institutions, whether or not you can get it from the, the, pub, the nonprofit entity, right? Right. right. And, and you, I mean, we offline, right. the FOIA request, who's, who has to get you with FOIAs. And it's like, at a certain point, I think the only private institution of the, in the Big Ten is, is uh, Northwestern. But the Big Ten is a private So you know, one by one, um, an, an attorney we had on our podcast, Tom Mars, he's, uh, he's been notable for helping kind of improve the transfer portal. But he had served FOIA requests on the Big Ten in the same type of response. And he was trying to to get the meeting minutes. He was trying to get how they filed the bylaws. And then, you know, the third level of this, Justin, which I also thought was interesting, you got to give Ohio a little bit of an assist, but Ohio's attorney general and Nebraska's attorney general both wrote letters to Kevin and the Big Ten, basically threatening uh, their own legal actions and own fines for disrupting the business interests of their respective public institutions. So, from, you know, there's like that scene, Justin, in Star Wars where like the wall, like the, like the garbage comebackers, like, yeah. Like, this is what the big time was just being surrounded at all angles. And the one that led the charge, um, you know, again, like I'm not from Nebraska. I don't really have any bias in it, but Nebraska's lawsuit led the charge. And then, uh, you know, from a, I guess from a, like just a minutia standpoint, they were alleging that the Big Ten was interfering with their business expectations. And that's, you know, that these guys wanted to be playing in the NFL. They wanted to be making money at the professional level. And without a year of college football, this would harm their business expectations. And then like, I think a week, within a week of filing that lawsuit, somebody put a microphone in front of the Steelers, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers GM. And he essentially said, if there's a player that we're considering who played football in 2020 versus a player who did not play football uh, in 2020, we're going to decide, we're going to lean towards drafting the player that has tape in 2020, which obviously mm. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but that would be evidence we use in the case that it was harming their, their business expectations. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the complaint was very well done. Um, I would have loved to have seen the, the lawsuit play out and get to see Kevin Warren on the, on the witness stand. But, you know, we, we can only dream. Do you think, uh, again, this is another speculative question, but do you have a sense that maybe Kevin Warren was driving this or that he was being, uh, we, we talked to an Ohio State beat reporter last week who thought that maybe Kevin was the fall guy at some level. I mean, as you're analyzing what you're seeing, do you, do you have an opinion one way or the other? Yeah, I have an, the first stuff we're talking about was more just like legal. I mean, I've looked at, you know, hundreds of cases in my, you know, my We'll say brief, but uh, you know, I decorated. I've been an attorney now. I graduated law school in 2013, so seven years of practice now. I spent a lot of time on these sports law issues. My firm 
handles a lot of sports cases. So, um, you know, I, just reading the writing on the wall, the timing is a little conspicuous that they brought Big Ten football back right after the Nebraska lost. And I, Justin, I guess just before I, I forget this point, like the, the letter to bring back um, Big Ten football, right? Um, you know, it, it, it noted improvements in medical testing and, and whatever else under the sun. I mean, you know, we're, what month is it now? We're in January, right? We're like, uh, I want to say nine, 10 months into this. The testing has never really, you know, maybe it's improved to some extent. It didn't improve in that three week period, right? It improved over a certain amount of time. So, I mean, when you were listening to comments from Northwestern and any other ADs that were speaking, they said, this was all about medicals. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about television. It wasn't about the lawyers. It was about improved safety. I just don't buy it. You know, yeah. Even in the end, you know, teams were canceling left and right. I don't know what improved safety there were, but if that was really the reason, I did, you know, congrats. Like there wasn't really improved safety. It just was the same issues across every single conference. Um, now, I guess um, on a kind of Kevin Warren level, Kevin Warren was leading the charge. He was the captain of the ship. You know, he was the one that wrote the letter canceling the season. He was the one that said, we're not reconsidering it. He's the one that brought back, you know, he wrote the letter that he brought back. The Big Ten football, he was talking to Trump. Any number of things, Kevin Warren was the figurehead. Then there, then there came a nine-week period where Kevin Warren basically went underwater. Like he went in hiding and like hibernation. I don't know where the guy went, but um, for all intents and purposes, um, Barry Alvarez was like the de facto commissioner. He was taking the calls about, you know, whether they were going to eliminate the six-game rule. Um, and we didn't really see anything from Kevin Warren I think until the eve, really like the Friday before the Big Ten conference game, when uh, all of a sudden he emerged to do like another media tour about how, how great he is and, you know, all this fun stuff. So I, I think they were trying to protect him for about a nine-week period during the season. He didn't sign, uh, you know, that there was a big controversy whether or not Ohio State, you know, was going to get into the Big Ten conference game, whether they could get in on five games. Um, he didn't sign that letter. He wasn't doing the media tour about, you know, Wisconsin potentially being canceled. So, yeah, I mean, I think Kevin Warren was to blame, but then all of a sudden he wants to come back into the victory lap, uh, you know, yeah. when they made it to the big conference game. So, yeah, it's it just was, a, a bizarre look. It's been very confusing to see him just in the last week, all of a sudden doing the, doing the peace and love tour. He, you know, spoke with beat reporters here for an extended period of time, told Nebraska reporters that he's anxious to get out here once the pandemic's over and spend time here. And he's, it's just, you know. I mean, now we're talking PR, but it's confusing and inconsistent. I, I, I missed an opportunity in the Big Ten title game with live fans to, uh, to hear the, the level of booze that Kevin Warren would have received. I was really looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's lots of other interesting legal issues going on in college football right now. Um, one that Nebraska is dealing with um, in the moment is uh, our, our top, arguably our best player, um, just yesterday said he was going to be transferring and through the transfer portal and uh, the university had gone all in on name, image, and likeness stuff for him with the designing a logo and creating a song with him. There was a lot of social media buzz around that. And now he's leaving. What uh, we didn't really talk about this beforehand. So sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but what do you think happens with all that IP, <laughs> that intellectual property that the university created on his behalf? So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting timing. And obviously, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday, the day after the national championship game. Yesterday, there was an announcement from the NCAA that they were basically tabling the decision whether to uh, formalize 
name, image, and likeness protocol across, you know, all schools, which well, it's the version of a Friday news dump. They just like, I guess, the talk, you know, they could hide it and people would be talking about Alabama and Ohio State the next couple of days. Um, you know, it's tricky. It's almost like, a, you know, if you're operating in an area that the law is not really uh, clear in, in any particular area, like, I don't know, like for, you know, for all intents and purposes, there, there's a number of areas of law where like very clear, you know, who's right and who's wrong. We have a hundred years of, of law. With a school negotiating, helping a player uh, in terms of their name, image, and likeness, and promoting that, right now it's like the wild, wild west. There is no, you know, clear code of conduct for NCAA schools to abide by. So, could there be, you know, some, I don't know, some dispute, some type of lawyer letter sent between Nebraska and their top players? Sure, um, but like, you know, it's almost the assumption of the risk because, like, you don't, you know, you you know, you're not guaranteed any any profit from your name, image, and likeness until it's formalized, but schools are smart to get out ahead of it, which Nebraska, I'm sure that was their, their plan. Um, so we'll see, we'll see if he tries to uh, capitalize on it elsewhere. But again, it's like, it's not like you have a contract in place, uh, you know, as you would in any type of business agreement, it just seems like, and I would, I would think in this case, it's a type of a handshake deal um, for, for a player or a student that was underneath your umbrella. So yeah, I mean, we'll see what comes of it. You know, it's the NCAA is not helping anybody by pushing back this deadline. If you're going to pay players, you know, you just got to get ahead of it. Right now, you know, Justin, we didn't talk about this, but Florida is the only state uh, in the country that's going to have uh, basically legislation that's going to be inactive as of July of 2021, so six months. So Florida is going to be able to pay their players. And the only way that they don't get a recruiting edge is if the NCAA gets off their you-know-what and gets a uniform policy in place or the federal government steps in with legislation. But I mean, the NCAA is basically telling us with this, you know, uh, this notice that they're tabling it, like, Justin, I, like, I can ask you this, like, what has the NCAA been doing for the last like six months? Like it's been a pandemic, right? Like why is this so hard to come up with? It's a, it's a great question. It, it's just so striking how much money and, you know, these amateur athletes are, are tied together right now. And, um, you know, I, we haven't really talked much about your, your podcast, but I, I listened recently to your interview with Tom Mars, who represented Justin Fields when he went through the transfer portal. And one of the first things that Fields and his dad had to do was get an attorney um, in order to, to, to make the transfer and be able to play right away. So the fact that student athletes who are at amateur status, um, when they go to do, make a move, like that feel like they have to lawyer up, which ain't free, um, sure tells you an awful lot about whether or not these people are truly amateurs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these guys, I mean, you can talk about 20 years of history across college sports. Like Justin still right now commanded a ton of money. I mean, imagine there's players that are, are you know, not Justin Fields, but any number of schools that command a lot of money, maybe not necessarily will draft it. I saw um, a stat, obviously, when I was researching the Nebraska law school. Nebraska hasn't had many players that have been drafted in recent years, but of that universe of potentially draftable players, they can command a lot of money in the Lincoln market. And it's you know, not, not that it's Nebraska's fault, but like there should be a, a, a mechanism for players to, you know, to make money off their name, image, and likeness while they're at the university, you know, while they're, you know, if it's Martinez or if it's any number of players down the line, like um, there's a window for them to earn a lot of money. And for years, the NCAA has kind of been pushing back uh, and saying that these are amateur athletes, you know, their scholarship is worth a ton of money, but I don't think anyone's buying that anymore at the state or federal level. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of whether the government wants to prioritize uh, 
you know, paying college athletes. Again, like obviously our country is dealing with a lot there the yeah. last month, but uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an issue that should be high up somewhere on the totem pole. It, it, and well, and also you look at how much money the, the uh, schools are making while these, you know, quote unquote amateur athletes are, are playing and you know, they're certainly compensated with scholarship, many of them. Um, but here in Nebraska, Scott Frost really values the walk-on program. Half the guys on the team aren't getting scholarships. There are 150 people there. Um, so, that, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of things that cost a lot of money and are making a lot of money for the schools. And so, I mean, I'm not really advocating one way or the other, but I think we need to have a more honest and open conversation about these things. See, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll advocate. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think in the country – like there's antitrust laws which prevent monopolies, you know, and you want to make sure there's free competition. Um, but for like a school like Nebraska, right? Like, and again, like I don't mean to preach the choir, but like I've learned a lot about the passion of, of the Cornhusker fan base. Like, um, and I didn't even tell the full story, but like this Paul Feinbaum stuff, like I, I you know, just on a Friday night, I'm just sending out tweets and all of a sudden, like I looked back and I had like a thousand likes and it's all from people that are in Lincoln and Omaha. And uh, then, you know, this picture that I'm lovely picture in my background, like one of someone in your fan club decided to send me uh, my family, just like Nebraska swag, which I wear very proudly. And it's awesome. like, you know, like, I mean, like there is just such passion in that fan base. And, you know, for example, like if there's a star recruit that comes to Nebraska and, you know, he falls in love with the campus, if there is any, like, if God forbid a booster said, you know what, if you come, uh, you know, I run to my local car dealership down here in Lincoln I'd love you to be the spokesperson. You'd be our star recruit. You know, maybe, you know, Coach Ross can't play you the first year as his quarterback, but I think I can offer you a little bit of compensation. Like, I don't really know what the harm in that is, right? Like, he can make a little money. The Nebraska campus, you know, at large, and the community gets to see a player that maybe is not getting playing time on the field. I just don't really see an issue with it. In the world of, like, capitalism, if the community wants to support, you know, and, and different boosters in the school, I mean, if, if they want to try to get an edge on, on a recruiting level, I mean, I don't, I don't see a problem with it. Um, I mean, it's almost the nature of the, the player empowerment world we live in. Guys are, especially like college basketball, right? Like they'll play one year, like that one and done. And they basically just, you know, they, they're just uh, passing through on their way to the NBA. But like, if there's a campus that they want to be a part of for one year, like, I don't know, the Lincoln faithful are on all these top 10 lists of top, you know, uh, the most passionate fan bases in the country, all this fun stuff. Like, I don't know if there's some perks that the guy can get for being there for a year. You know, I, I really don't see an issue with it. Mm. Yeah. I'm not, I, I feel like I have to think about some of those hypotheticals more before I can sign on one way or the other. But I do think it's funny to think that, you know, the accusation certainly is with Alabama that a lot of this stuff's already happened and whether or not it's out in the open or not, you know, like, there was a <laughs> Twitter threat, you know, the cards they got and I, you know, it's totally speculation, but you could get it out in the open if it's really happening. I mean, listen, they're making this, I mean, we can, on a, on a dollars and cents level, these universities make so much money. And what they do is they basically, they'll put it back into the university with the, with the beautiful state-of-the-art athletic center, um, and things that maybe they don't really need, they're excessive, but they'll take the surplus of revenue and they'll put it back into the school. So, you know, not saying that lion share shouldn't go to the universities, but, you know, if there's some certain percentage of athletes that can command that, that level of uh, money. I mean, I mean, I don't, you know, not that I want to, not that I'm advocating for the schools to be paying that, but what these different, um, we'll say pay to play scenarios in Florida and California, it's almost an entrepreneurship license that if on your own, you can command a certain salary, it's not taking money away from the schools. 
It's going, you know, the players creating a stream of revenue on their own. I don't really know who that's, you know, why the schools would disagree with it, why the NCA would disagree with it. They're creating new revenue and they're helping the community, right? You know, um, in any number of ways, if it's local car dealerships or, you know, any type of local businesses. I, I just don't see the harm in that at a, at a high level. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm always open to any type of opinion. I was a, Justin, I was a philosophy major in college. Uh-huh. So. I can argue it both ways, but that's at least how I'm leaning as of today. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I, I appreciate you sharing those thoughts and that, and this discussion, it's definitely food for thought. And uh, I mean, even if you are, you know, there's some walk-ons that have a lot of hype and Nebraskans are really passionate about the walk-on program. So, you know, I was just talking about how there's these walk-on players who are actually paying to play. Um, but if they can, be a top, you know, a top high school player in Nebraska and have built up some sort of social media following and, and they come here and they don't have a scholarship, but they, they can tap into this name, image, and likeness stuff. They could be uh, recouping some, some of those expenses, if not coming out ahead. Um, and, you know, if you are a, a famous Nebraska player and uh, you graduate, you know, you, you have, I don't know what the economic value is, but if you live in Nebraska as a former great Husker player, I mean, you're just, you can do, you can have a good life. Like people are always going to love you as long as you don't throw it away. So there's economic value for the greats after they leave. But then, you know, what you're talking about here is someone can make some decent cash while they're there and, and maybe they won't be a, a huge impact player. And, and so maybe that'll peter out someday, but they can capitalize on it while, while their name is hot. Right. right. I, I think it's probably more glaring at college basketball level. So college football, like guys are there for, you know, at least you know, two, three years out of school some guys leave early college basketball the top guys literally leave after a season which doesn't i don't think it helps the product i think you know i mean i i've uh, you know full disclosed us and I've, I've watched more nebraska college basketball games than i've watched any nebraska games in like my existence but this this past year like i'm, I'm leaning into to the uh, to the cornhuskers but like you know it's probably not an issue it's probably more of an issue like kentucky or dukes like I, I would love back in the day, like I grew up, Tim Duncan was a four-year player and, you know, it just makes the, makes the sport a little more enjoyable, you know, like even back way, like way back when with Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, guys that stay four years, it just improves the product overall. If in college basketball, you said, Hey, if you're a star freshman, like Zion Williamson, you know, back with Duke, Hey, we'll pay you, we'll pay you some amount of money, whatever it is, how much, you know, however much he can, make. let's say Zion can somehow command a salary of like, I don't know, 250 grand with his different endorsements or whatever else he's doing, you know, not taking it from the school, but he's making it on the side. Maybe Zion says, you know what? I love being the big man on campus. Uh, I think I could do this for another year. Um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's something it, it, that leads players of that caliber to stay as sophomores, juniors, maybe seniors, because they love the environment. Like Tim Tebow was a god in Florida. You know, God knows how much money he could have commanded um, in Gainesville. But um, I think that would only lead to improvements of the overall product and, and then them hitting, you know, the pros as just more complete players. I just, I hate seeing this, you know, in college basketball, there's, I think there was some crazy stat. I saw that like 40% uh, of players that declare, um, you know, that they're either second day players that they that declare earlier, second day players are undrafted. And then they have to go, you know, to Europe or play overseas because they've, you know, they've lost their eligibility in the college rank. So if you put a little bit of money in those guys' pockets, they stay. I mean, it, it only helps college basketball. Well, Nebraska's the uh, university has always been looking for an edge. We're just to give you a little history. First, first college football team to have a weightlifting program and to focus on nutrition and gave us a huge leg up for many, many decades. Um, 
everybody's kind of caught up with us on that front. So we're always looking for ways to innovate and um, the support, the financial support that the community could give to a, a student athlete um, would be, it would be more here than most places, I would suspect. So that could be, you know, as Nebraska's looking for the next way to innovate, this could be, this could be the edge. Listen, I, I've learned that maybe the national world, the volleyball team is a big deal. Absolutely. I, I uh, so I was a, in high school, I was a fan just because New York is not that big on college football, but I like somehow was driven towards the Hawaii Warriors with Colt Brennan and Timmy Chang back in the day. Sure. So, you know, you know, like if you're going to root for any team, like why not root for Hawaii just to, for the irony of it? Yeah. And then like I started researching, like they have all these, you know, t- they have like three school, three different Hawaii schools that are like in the top 25 in volleyball. Um, but, you know, little did I know, that Nebraska of all places has just like a powerhouse volleyball program. You know, Nebraska, Nebraska volleyball now is what Nebraska football was 20 years ago. And uh, this is a volleyball school, man. <laughs> People, we, we've got this sellout streak with our football stadium going back to the sixties, but the, uh, the volleyball streak is also I mean, like the, one of the largest places you'll ever see people gather to watch volleyball. And um, I think the volleyball coach just signed the number one, two, three, seven, and like, I don't know, 15 top volleyball players in the country. Um, yeah, it's, it's big. I, I love it. You know, I, I couldn't tell. So I've been, I, you know, I follow all the big, you know, uh, Nebraska Twitter accounts now. And like, after, I, I don't know what the loss was. Maybe it was the Illinois loss. Somebody, one of the big accounts was like, we're a volleyball school now. And I couldn't figure out if that was an insult or not, but it was like from a Nebraska account. And then I started going black hole of Wikipedia research and I'm like, Oh, that is not an insult. Like oh. that is just how powerful the volleyball program is. And it'll be really interesting with them playing spring to really get the, the, the focus. Cause you know, normally volleyball and football are happening at the same time. And, you know, Nebraska fans come in from out state and up from Omaha and they go to the football game and then they'll try to go over to a volleyball game. If it's the same day, I mean, it's a, it's a big weekend. Um, so now volleyball is the show and you've got, Baseball happening too, but it's just at a different level. Nebraska fans care about whoever's playing, but yeah, volleyball's a big deal and and they're going to really have this space to shine. I mean, like, so I don't mean to preach the choir, but like I've, you know, I've been uh, in this college football nexus for a while. I have opinions sometimes that get me in trouble with Penn State, uh, you know, talk about allegations against their coach, which are very messy, um, or any number of things. Um, but like, you know, I... I I think that, um, and again, I was, I was pretty vocal on this and I didn't just say it because I felt it to be true, but like, I, I, you know, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but you and I were joking with like the holding calls against the Nebraska football team. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. like I, you know, at a certain point, these things are not a coincidence. And like, I know you and I came on, I wanted to kind of give like the, the full picture. I mean, you know, just so Nebraska fans don't know they're not crazy. Like if, you know, if there are 14, um, we'll say 14 schools, we'll just, we'll keep the analogy somewhat close. Like, and one of the 14 schools, let's pretend it's not the Big Ten. One of the 14 schools sues the conference for whatever reason, right? They want to claim that they're stealing money or any number of things down the line. Um, and they settle that lawsuit, right? There are always going to be hard feelings between the person that you sued um, and, and yourself, unless there's some like really, you know, hug and kiss and make up and, you know, everything's hunky dory, but like, 
you know, the, the, it would be very weird, put it this way, it would be very weird for the Big Ten Conference to not hold a grudge against Nebraska for suing them. Um, yeah. I, I just, it doesn't, you know, the way I know litigation, it just doesn't make sense. Parties after a really heated lawsuit or just even the filing of a lawsuit or even like these pre-suit, like I have a couple of these pre-suit mediations, arbitrations that we do. The parties don't like each other. They might settle a case up, but they're still not going to like the other side necessarily. So, you know, do I think Nebraska is, is destined to leave the Big Ten? I, I think so at some point. Maybe that's going to get expedited with, um, you know, the, the findings of the Knight Commission that the Power Five might split off and basically kind of create a new power structure in football. Um, but I, I don't think the holding calls are coincidence and that maybe that's just me with my tinfoil hat on. I just, again, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm going to mess up the name, but one of your, your Husker faithful ran the numbers and it's like almost statistically impossible that schools go to play Nebraska and then just miraculously stop holding like the most disciplined and the most undisciplined teams are just like, they're just disciplined when they play Nebraska and there's no holding. It's just, it's just awesome. bizarre. And then, uh, you know, Justin, then I, I had fun with this one. It's like across the country, it's like, you know, Illinois is like, you know, thanks for saving big 10 football. And like, you know, everyone's having their fun. Like Minnesota's like, thanks Nebraska for saving big 10 football. And it's like my dream, like taking crazy pills here. Like Nebraska did save big 10 football. Like right. I just, like, there's some, there's some disconnect. Like I know people are making a joke of it, but as a lawyer on the outside, I'm like, to me, the optics are that they save the season. I mean, unless the timing is just purely coincidental and the holding calls after the fact, purely coincidental, but you start to line these coincidences up and um, you know, it, it seems very much more uh, causation than, than correlation. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing that opinion. Um, we certainly agree. And uh, it's nice to hear someone from outside our bubble say as much. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk about your podcast because uh, that's, that's a big reason why um, you have the platform you have is, uh, you know, you're a lawyer, yes, but you also have a sports law podcast. So can you tell us about our listeners a little bit about your podcast and how they can interact with you? Sure. sure, sure. Um, I think as Justin, you know, at this point, um, I go on a lot of different um, the local ESPN affiliates. Sometimes I do national Fox sports and whatnot. Um, so at a certain point, I, you know, I would get called for the big stories like this for Big Ten, you know, and any, any, you know, the James Franklin allegations at Penn State, you know, so on and so forth, some basketball, baseball. And then at some point I said, you know what, I, I can pretty much spot the stories on a sports law level, uh, be it, you know, allegations against a particular school um, or even something, uh, you know, like labor relations when they're negotiating the CBA in, in uh, Major League Baseball or the NFL. Um, so we run a podcast once a week and we go over the biggest issues at the intersections of sports and law. Uh, sometimes, like we did with Tom Mars, we can create a news cycle. Um, you know, like we're doing now, we're investigating uh, sports betting legislation in the state of New York, which uh, is going to uh, probably uh, lead to some more states legalizing across the country, just uh, as a snapshot. And obviously, COVID-19 cost a lot of states revenue. And, uh, you know, in order to make that up, they have to create new channels, whether that's legalizing cannabis, you know, in, in some limited capacity, or legalizing uh, sports betting. Uh, that's the conversation at a legal level that lawmakers are starting to have. So, yeah, we have a lot of fun with it. I mean, obviously, uh, I'm a sports fan first, a lawyer second. So we try to make the conversation, uh, you know, just a, a higher, you know, um, almost like a behind the scenes uh, conversation, but the underpinnings of sports. So, uh, you know, uh, and as Justin knows, I'm uh, on social media and Twitter and Instagram at Sports Law Lust. If you have any sports law questions, you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, if your team's going to get a uh, you know, fine or your star player in any given context uh, needs to need some potential legal representation. Uh, I'm happy to answer any and all questions uh, on DMs are always open. 
So that's uh, the podcast is the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. You're on uh, social media at Sports Law Lust. Dan Lust, thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. My absolute pleasure. And Justin, I'm happy to come on anytime and talk Cornhuskers. All right. Hey, go Big Red, Dan. Go Big Red. GBR. Thanks again to Dan Lust for coming on the show. Really appreciate his time and expertise. Hope you all enjoyed that. Also, thanks to our sponsors, Central Nebraska Buffalo and Monty Rohde. It's been a rocky season, but they've stuck through us, stuck with it, stuck with us. And uh, here we are in the offseason. Here we are. We don't even have a Shrine Bowl or whatever East-West game to look forward to. Don't I, we don't? Is I don't not? think so. I, th- I think most of those little, uh, those kind of, I think a lot of that stuff is just like in name only where they named people to teams, but they're not actually going to play the game. Oh, I see. Yeah. But uh, I guess we have the NFL, but that's what that is. We don't talk about the NFL too much here on, <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's not our lane. Yeah, we, we will see some uh, some Huskers in the NFL in the coming weeks, but uh, yeah. Well, Mike, happy, uh, happy offseason to you. Indeed. It's pretty insane, though, when you think about, like, we're not too far away from maybe talking about spring football and what that's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. We'll see. We'll, uh, we'll, as we learn about it, we will talk about it on the pod. Yep. We'll, we'll see how that goes with, with uh, whatever safety measures that are put in place, whether they're going to have teams in the stadium, what vaccinations for players might look like. I don't even, I don't know, even know anything about that stuff. So yeah. <laughs> be interesting. It'll be an interesting couple of months here. It will be. Which means you should stay subscribed to this podcast because we will continue to uh, update you uh, kind of on a as-needed basis. We'll still be publishing episodes, but uh, whether that's weekly or not, I mean, it just kind of depends on whether there's something to talk about. <laughs> we'll do it. If there yeah. is, we'll do it. Yeah. All right. Go Big Red, Mike. Go Big Red. Husker Football Fan Podcast is an unofficial, non-commercial podcast and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them. The Husker Football Fan Podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with the Nebraska Cornhuskers or the University of Nebraska. Nebraska.